Hi, and welcome to Pineapple Reels. I'm your host, Nia. This month is spooky season, and to kick it off, I'll be covering Funny Games by writer and director Michael Haneke. Stay tuned. Just wanted to give everybody a heads up. Because this movie came out originally in 2007, I will not be doing spoiler alerts because it came out in 2007. You've had 13 years to watch it. So... If you don't want it ruined, I would suggest you don't listen, go watch it, and then come back and listen to the podcast. Okay, thanks. Funny Games is a horror movie from Austrian writer and director Michael Haneke. This movie came out in 2007, and it's about two psychopathic young men who take over a uh, who take a family hostage in their cabin over one long night. Now, this movie stars Naomi Watts as Anne, Tim Roth as George, Michael Pitt as Paul, and Brady Corbett as Peter. Michael Haneke actually made this movie previously in the year 1997, only it was in his home country of Austria. He decided that he wanted to remake the same exact movie before America. So if you ever watched the 1997 version and compare it to the 2000 version, it's actually a shot-by-shot remake exactly the outfits the dialogue what the characters look like everything it is an exact replica of their predecessor i didn't want to give too much of an in-depth synopsis in case anyone does want to watch it so you're not getting an exact play-by-play i just want to highlight a lot of things that i thought needed to be highlighted or maybe explain a little bit for people And the purpose of this film, in my opinion, is to show you, you know, be careful of who you let into your home, as well as pay attention to your surroundings and what's going on. This family and other families had to learn this lesson the hard way. The reason why this film was a lot for me is because it made me feel as though I was experiencing this as real life, not as a viewer watching a film. There were moments that made me freeze. The director's use of extremely long shots with no cuts or small cuts really helped carry the story along to count real time. And you had the time to absorb everything that was presented in front of you and give you also give you time to put two and two together of of situations and things there's even a point where paul makes a bet that with with ann and george and georgie that they won't make it through the night they won't last past nine o'clock the next morning and he even he says this very casually he's like "Mm, let's make a bet that by 9 a.m tomorrow morning all three of you will be kaput okay and George just has his head down. George is crying silently. And Anne just looks at Paul like, okay, okay, okay. Like, what What do I say to that? You know? And I will give it to, I will give it to Anne. Because Anne was a fighter throughout this entire thing. George, however, he gave up quite a few times and the boys even pointed out like, look, look at your wife, man. She has more strength and drive than you do to get to this thing. And you're already giving up. You, you don't really want to live. 
And George can't even deny it to them. You know, he keeps it to himself, obviously, but it's very clear that her will to survive for her for her family and his will to survive for their family are two different things. Overall, this film is chilling due to Paul and Peter actually keeping their word throughout the entire thing. Whatever they say they're going to do or have done, they keep their word. And the situation that happened to this family can happen to anyone. It's a very tough lesson regarding keeping away from strangers and not just letting anyone into your home. So when the movie opens, it opens with the family driving in their SUV, uh, heading towards their cabin or their lake house for the summer. And they're listening to opera music. It's just the two, the husband and wife and their child, and they have a dog. And they approach the home and, and get it all prepared for the weekend. And um, on their way to the house, they bump into a neighbor. And the neighbor, they're kind of far apart. So they're yelling from the car to where their where their neighbor is. Him and his wife are on their property and they're playing, it looks like they're playing golf with these two young men who may be family members or friends of theirs or maybe they're just helping them with their golfing. We don't know at this point of time. So George asks if his neighbor could help uh, come down and help him move the boat that they have to the water so they can go sailing later. The neighbor complies. He says, yeah, I'll be there in 20 minutes. No issue. The family says, okay. And they drive off. And the wife's kind of like, man, they're kind of they're kind of being weird, aren't they? He's like, mm, I don't know. Just kind of drop it like it's not that big of a deal. Later on, we do realize that this obviously is a little bit of foreshadowing. But it's so subtle, you don't really realize it as it's happening. It can be written off very easily as just a whatever kind of encounter. So the family goes to the home and they, you know, get the home, the house ready for the weekend, open all the windows and doors. And eventually the neighbor comes back, comes over and he brings one of the young men with him to help them get the boat. I watched this movie Funny Games originally about two years ago and I had it in my watch list for a while. I read the reviews. I even watched interviews with the director and I just hadn't gotten to it. So when I finally did watch it, I was alone by myself at night and the movie is almost two hours. So when I watched it, I had to pause it a couple of times just for the the eerie feeling it gave me for I feel like everybody has a, a thing that uh, in a movie they can't take or maybe it gives them anxiety or makes them feel weird or it's a I can't watch this. I need a moment. For me, that's anything to do with children in a negative kind of way. And there is a scene in this movie where the young son, Georgie, ends up dying. I guess it was accidental. That's what the guy said. Uh, Peter said that he accidentally let the gun go off. And, and that's why that happened. It wasn't meant to happen at that time. And... You know, you see Georgie throughout the movie, he's just, you know, very happy kid, little blonde kid, you know, good and seems like a good kid, nice as mom and dad and his dog and the neighbors and stuff. And just to 
just for a young life to be taken away that abruptly and that quickly was very shocking because I was not expecting it. So, and the director, he, Michael did a good, a good job of his shots to show you just enough so you know what happened, but not have this very, you know, gory, saw-like image in your mind. He lets you fill in the blank of, you know what happened. You you heard the sound. You heard them talk about it. You see the feet and a blood splatter. This is what happened. So, to me, whenever there is um, a, a, the, a, the bad guy in a movie or the villain in the movie, and, you know, usually they have an angle. It's like, I- I'm doing this because you wronged me, or um, they did something to my parents and it caused us to live in poverty. Whatever the reason they had this vendetta against someone or a group of people. But this movie, they don't necessarily have a vendetta. They are two young men who just feel like killing people. You can assume that maybe they're purposely targeting these rich neighborhoods because they come from a bad family or they were poor. But Paul assures us as an audience that that is not the case whatsoever. That they just want to do it because they feel like it. And it's fun to them. Hence the name of the, the title of the film itself. Funny Games. This is hilarious to them. There, uh, there's a point in time where Paul actually laughs at a at someone's death in the movie. He laughs. Well, his immediate reaction is joyous laugh, while we as the audience are shocked that this person just died, and he's over here just beaming with freaking joy. It is very creepy with this big cheesy grin on his face. So I do like that it was realistic with how the characters are. Here are these rich people who don't have these kind of encounters. They're not worried about it or thinking about this, but it shows you how easily that they're manipulated and how easily how easy they, they let their guard down. Now, Anne, in the beginning of this movie, her son Georgie said, oh, hey, mom, there's someone at the door. And it, was Pete, it happened to be Peter coming by to ask for some eggs that the neighbor needed. Not knowing him whatsoever, not even knowing his name, she says, okay, and lets him come inside her home. Why? That makes doesn't make any kind of sense whatsoever. But she does it anyway. That right there was the start of a night of terror that bled into the morning. Not saying that her saying just way outside would would have saved her and her family, but you never know. And it may be a stretch it stretched it too, you know? It also shows you how oblivious these people are to each other and their surroundings. You have these two young men going around these lake houses or cabins, whatever you want to call it, and no one can hear people scream or anything like that. No one's paying attention to each other. Now, you could also say that maybe the reason why you can't hear anybody scream is because they've already killed all the families that are in these homes or because these are rich people some people are there for the weekend some people aren't and 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 that that's definitely a realistic answer for that but still it's just so much and the the movie doesn't take too long to get into it it seems like it's going to be slow but when you when you get into it at it really starts once the eggs are broken 
for the third for the second time and the wife now is irritated because she's like look man I've given I've given you these eggs twice and twice they've broken I don't have the time for this I don't have the eggs for this I just want you to leave my house and they're like just give us the eggs and we'll go and she's like I don't want to deal with it and her husband comes in and he's like what's going on and not really giving her the benefit of the doubt his wife he as a man turns to these young boys and are like, oh, well, well, something must have won. Like, well, what happened? Why are you entertaining this? This is your wife. She said that she doesn't feel comfortable. You should probably listen to her. And I'm sure that the husband regretted later of like, maybe I should have listened to what she was saying because this is a bit creepy. And George and Paul, they get in an argument because Paul doesn't want to leave without these eggs. He's very adamant about getting these four eggs, and they have no problem leaving as long as they give them to them. But this is their last four eggs, and George is like, yeah, just go. Like, this is a thing. I don't know what y'all are doing, like, what game this is, but y'all should just leave and, and go back to wherever y'all came from. And George kind of threatens Paul a bit of saying, like, you know, if you don't go, something's going to happen. And Paul, you know, puffs up his chest too and is like, oh, old man, I'll break your eggs if you don't calm down. And George walks away like, okay, well, get out of my house. And as he walks away, Paul picks up a golf club and he whacks George with it and George goes crashing down. We don't know if he hit George and uh, where he hit George in his leg. But we do know that George was hit and went down and it was hard enough where he broke his leg. And that is when the chaos truly starts for this family is what, who are these people? Why are they in our home? Why do they do this over some eggs? Is that what this is about? And it just spirals out of there of what these two boys. After striking George, Paul tempts the farmers by telling him, yeah, call the police or the ambulance. We won't stop you. And Anne does try to, but the phone that she had, their cell phone, was dropped in the water previously, which will be thought was a clumsy, innocent accident from Peter, which in reality was a plot, obviously, to make them not have as much hope later. And George, you know, feeling defeated, he's sitting on the couch and he just, he looks at Paul and Peter. He says, why, why are y'all doing this? Which Paul calmly asks, why not? And that tone that he gives him, that serious face he gives him, it lets you kind of seep in a little bit more of, oh, these are full-blown psychopaths. Nothing is gonna probably rock what they're gonna what they're gonna do. So Paul suggests they play a game. He pulls out a golf ball and asks, What is this? George states, It's a golf ball. And then Paul excitedly yells, Correct. And why do I have a golf ball in my in my pocket? I bet Anne knows. And Anne suddenly realizes what he's talking about. Kind of puts two two together. I haven't heard any barking in a while. Where's the dog at? Now we cut to this outside and they're playing a game of hot and cold. And Anne's walking around the property. And she passes by the car and Paul's like, oh, you're getting hotter. And now she opens the door. The dog, Lucky, rolls out. So it's like, okay, so now you've hurt my husband. You've killed my dog. What the hell do you want from us? Like you, like what, what possibly could you want? What did we do to you? And again, they... They're just here just to 
cause mayhem because it brings them complete joy. So back at the house, Peter asked Georgie to get him something to eat. Very politely, mind you. Um, And in the distance, we hear somebody shouting, people yelling, hello, somewhere near the water. So since Anne was still outside, she goes over and she sees what are her neighbors who live across the lake. And they listen to their chicken like, oh, yeah, you know, hey, we're we're here for the weekend. You know, we, we saw your boat. We thought we'd come by and say hi. It's her neighbor Betsy and Robert and also her sister-in-law. And Betsy gets out and introduces, introduces the, her, her husband and her sister-in-law to Paul. And Anne just, Anne acts like everything's going, going okay because Paul did tell her, hey, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Okay, like let's not make this a whole show in a production. Get them to leave. Well, she's able to get them to leave. And they're like, okay, yeah, we'll meet up later. We'll see you for something. And they drift over. So Paul confirmed, before they go, Paul asked Betsy, oh, hey, like, is that the house that's like down down uh, the bend? She's like, oh, yeah, like not too far over here. And he's like, oh, okay, great. I know where that's at. And... They, Betsy's like, okay, and she's like, all right, see y'all later. And they hop back in their boat and they go back across the water. And Anne just looks at it, looks at that boat as just like, that was my chance to, to do something. And I made a decision not to. When they go back inside, Anne and Georgie help George onto the couch and elevate his leg, try to alleviate some of the pressure that he's having. Anne turns to Paul and Peter again and asks them to please leave, and she exits the room. She returns with a glass of water and a pain pill for George. For whatever reason, this upsets Paul, and he pushes Anne harshly onto George's bad leg. George screams out in pain, and and then Paul grabs Anne and he hits her as Peter repeatedly steps on George's leg. He yells out at Georgie to calm down as Georgie is screaming and crying and punching, trying to protect his family the best as he can. Once everyone has calmed down a bit, Paul suggests that they play another game. This one's called Cat in the Bag. He quickly grabs Georgie and takes a pillowcase from the from the couch and puts it over Georgie's head. And he wants to play this game where they he makes Anne remove her clothing. And just to show that he has all the power in the situation, he demands that George tells Anne, take off your clothes, honey. And George reluctantly and very sorrowfully turns to Anne and makes this request. And Anne starts to do so. Anne gets down to her brown underwear before Paul's like, okay, that's enough. You can stop and tell she can put her clothes back on just to give another power play, which obviously makes... And feel a certain kind of way feels defeated. Shortly after the game is over, Georgie sees an opening and makes a run for it. He runs upstairs and climbs out a window and scales down the side of the house. He runs to the front of the home where the gate is and tries to climb it, but cannot get over on his own as he is too short and too small. So he ends up running across to another neighbor's house to try to get away. He, when he approaches the house, the lights come on and He's he's this little boy is terrified, so he's looking around and he sees Paul not too far and he go the Georgie makes a run for it inside the home. 
the door of this house is unlocked, which is a bit weird. Why is this random house? The door is unlocked. So Georgie goes inside and he's playing a game of hide and seek with Paul. And he's running around the house, moving from place to place, trying to find the best hiding place. While he's hiding, he notices there's a gun in the hallway, a shotgun. So as he walks towards it, he turns and looks and sees what looks like a body on the floor. And it looks like tiny feet with a pool of blood surrounding it. This is obviously one of the kids from previously that died while playing the game with Peter and Paul. So Georgie goes ahead and he grabs a shotgun and he's walking around the house hiding and and looking for Paul too. And finally Paul gets upstairs and he finds Georgie. And he sees Georgie has the gun and he's taunting him. He's like, what are you going to do with it? You're going to shoot me? Go ahead. I even let you cock it. So Georgie cocks it back very slowly while he's shaking. And Paul's like, yeah, go ahead and pull it. Georgie pulls the trigger and nothing happens as there are no bullets. And Paul smiles and he's actually a little bit shocked that Georgie actually pulled the trigger. And Paul goes ahead and he snatches up Georgie. And he ends up bringing Georgie right back to the house where everybody is. So obviously when his parents sees him, they're very upset because they thought at least at least their son got away. After Paul brings Georgie back to the house, he says that he's hungry. So he goes to the kitchen to make a snack and puts Peter in charge of washing everybody until he comes, until he returns. While Paul is in the kitchen, we hear a gunshot. Paul doesn't flinch. He continues to make his sandwich. And then we see blood splatter on the TV and Peter and Paul having what seems to be somewhat sort of an argument, kind of a conversation. Paul's confused of what happened. You know, I only left for a couple of minutes. You're just supposed to watch them. And Peter explains that he messed up playing the eeny, meeny, miny, mo game and accidentally shot Georgie. Thus messing up the game and not doing it in the order they wanted to do things. Shortly after Peter shoots Georgie, the boys leave the house. As they leave, Anne's still tied up. George is still tied up. And they're like, okay, you know, well, y'all have a y'all have a great night. And they leave the house and they close the door. Anne waits for a moment and then she she hops around. She's she's able to break herself free of her restraints and she gets George out of his restraints and George just starts wailing that ugly ugly cry of you know I just lost my child in front of my face and I couldn't do anything and I felt completely helpless so they you know as a as a family they have a moment for what just happened to try to kind of process it and Anne goes in the kitchen she tries the phone again and the battery's on it's working but and there's a signal but for whatever reason the call's not going through to the actual cops and so George is like, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta run to the other, to other house to to get the phone. It's a or go to a neighbor. You just you can't stay here." And Anne has to go, goes out of one of the windows as the doors and windows are locked. The boys locked the doors and windows when they left. And Anne runs from neighbor to neighbor, trying to get someone to help, trying to get someone to hear her, a phone, something. She needs some help of some kind. And no one's home at any of these houses. All the lights are off. There's no cars in the driveway. And Anne goes to the main road. And 
starts walking down the street. She sees a van approaching, and you think, oh, she's going to flag the van down. The van passes her because she, she hides behind a tree stump. Well, a tree, not a tree stump. And uh, she comes back out, and she's waving and screaming, wait, wait. But the van keeps on driving as if they can't see or hear her. So we cut back to the house, and George is there, and he's trying to make the phone work. And he's not having too much luck with the phone. And so he, you know, try he's trying to eat some food and then realizes food doesn't taste good right now. <laughs> I, I'm about to die. I just lost my son. My wife's in this house right now. She could either be dead or maybe she did get out. And I have no idea what's going to happen to me. And he spits his food out and just sits there kind of defeated and, you know, just slowly processing everything that's happened so far and that will happen. And so he's sitting there and he hears he hears something, he calls out for his wife, he says, Anne, and there's no answer. We just hear something drop and roll, and it's a golf ball, and it stops right in front of the door. And here comes Paul back again. They're like, Oh hey y'all, did you miss us? All cheery and, you know, here goes a nightmare part two. It's all, all over again. They thought everything was done and that they got rid of these men and that that was it. And these men were like, nope, we want everything. So here they are again for another game. And this time the game is for the wife. And it's choosing between will they kill her husband with a knife or will he will they kill her husband by a gun? And... Obviously, either decision is good, is difficult, and Anne can't decide. And Paul's like, "Well, <laughs> you're, you're, I'm gonna make you choose. So either way, he's gonna die. I'm giving you an option of how, of how he's going to die. So eventually, Paul ends up killing George in front of Anne as well, as she's bound there, helpless, watching her husband die. It's a moment where Paul and Peter are distracted. Anne takes that as her chance and she snatches the shotgun off the table and she pulls the trigger and she ends up killing Peter. And Paul's initial reaction is hysterical laughter and then shock of, oh no, he's he's dead. And he, he grabs a shotgun from her, he, he hits her in the head with it and then he starts searching the living room for something and he's like, where where is the remote? I need, ah, I, I gotta find the remote. He grabs the remote, presses rewind, and time literally goes backwards to right before Peter dies and they're making the bet initially with Anne. That symbolizes that this entire time, Paul, not Peter, not anyone else, Paul is always and will always be in control of what happens no matter what. This is his game. This is his rules. No matter what you think or how you're going to get around, it won't work because he controls every moving piece in his game. So we cut to, after that, we cut to the boys walking on the dock with Anne and they're all in rain gear and she has her hands bound. So they help her on the boat. They they lift the sail and they start sailing across the lake and they're just having a, you know, casual conversation between the two of them, Peter and Paul. And uh, they also bound, bind, uh, bind her legs or bound her legs. 
So as they're sitting there and they're talking, they're distracted and Anne, Anne sees a knife on the boat that George had dropped earlier. So she moves towards it and she's trying to cut herself free from the ropes. Paul finally turns and sees her. And he's like, oh, look at that. You got to admire the spunk that she has. You know, she's just she's a fighter. And uh, Peter grabs her and places her between himself and Paul. Paul then asks Peter, what time is it? And he responds, after eight. Paul kisses Anne on the forehead and pushes her in the lake, saying, Ciao, Bella. Paul pushes Anne in the lake so carelessly. He doesn't look at what he's just done, doesn't look back, neither does Paul, neither does Peter. And they just keep on sailing towards the next home. This next home turns out to be Betsy, the neighbor previously that we saw that Anne was hoping would be their salvation and would help them who wasn't understanding or getting the hint now she's in the same situation that her friends were and the cycle continues i wanted to go into how the character paul is breaking the fourth wall multiple times throughout this whole film and he's the only character to make direct eye contact with the camera as well speak as as well as speaking to the audience and the first time he does it is when he's taunting Anne with the hot and cold game of trying to find their dead dog and he turns to the camera and just kind of gives a nod he doesn't say anything but he makes direct eye contact with us and we're not expecting that so it definitely startles you a little bit the first time it happens and then the next few times it happens that it's as if we're old friends and we're you know we keep going back to the conversation of him essentially checking in with us as viewers as like you know this is going to happen you already know how it's going to end yet you continue to watch it because you were entertained just like we're entertained by this game and again it just reiterates that the entire time of the duration of this game that Paul is in control. Funny Games is among one of the few horror movies that actually take place in the daytime or in very bright light, just like Midsummer and The Village. It does a really good job of creeping you out even though they're not using the tricks of dark to scare us and make us feel like, feel childlike again. They really make you see everything that's happening and as I said previously they make you sit in the emotion to truly absorb everything that's going on. My rating for this film on a scale of 1 to 10 would have to be an 8.5 or a solid 9. This movie is damn near perfect. It did its job by scaring me without showing me the extra the, the the super the details you know and most of the times uh, at least for me as a viewer of horror films I need to see it to actually get scared so to watch a film that left not necessarily left it to my imagination but didn't initially show me it it really pulled me in and it held me there and I think that's what it was is making you sit in it of the the real time feels like it's like it's passing for you and it just adds to the eeriness. Also, how all the actors did a great job. And the two men playing Peter and Paul did a good job of being with their emotions and, and their uh and their micro expressions. They did a very good job with how they did that. The man who played Paul did a really good job of that psychopath, stereotypical 
behavior. You know, he at first can be very warm and inviting and you let your guard down naturally, which is what the Farbers ended up doing initially, which is like, oh, here are two guys that are with our friends. They must be harmless and letting them in and, you know, not that long later, regretting their decision and also being shocked and surprised of like, why are these two seemingly good guys doing this horrible thing to us? I wanted to highlight the main actors in this film because a lot of times people watch movies and don't realize that this actor has been in a lot of things previously. So I want to go into a little bit of that with some of these people. So let's start with maybe some not as big actors, but they are big on the indie scene. Uh, the guy who played Peter, Brady Corbert, he was in thir- the movie 13 alongside with tra- uh Evan Rachel Wood he played her older brother and he did a really good job in that film he was young when it came out he's also in uh, Melancholy as well Melancholia as well um Michael Pitt who plays Paul was also in Seven Psychopaths and Ghosts in the Shell opposite of Scarlett Johansson and Tim Roth whom I'm sure a lot of people know who he is who played George but some of his big films are Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, both are Tarantino films. And he was also in a TV show called Lie to Me. If you've never seen Lie to Me and you're into psychology, it's a real it's a really good show. And it's actually based part in truth. So that's definitely a must-watch. So if you can get your hands on Lie to Me, I think you'll you would like that show and really appreciate it. And finally, Naomi Watts, who plays Anne. She was also in King Kong, King Kong. The Sea of Trees and Luke that came out last year actually and uh, that looked like a really good film and I'll probably be doing a review of that movie pretty soon as well as it's in my watch list and mind you my watch list is hundreds of hundreds of movies <laughs> that I uh, chip away at from time to time. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pineapple Reels. If you have any suggestions or comments, please email me at pineappleareels at gmail.com. Also, there is an Instagram page and a Twitter page with the same handle, pineappleareels. I will take any and all suggestions. In particular for this month, it's spooky season. So any kind of horror or thriller, whether it's funny or serious, please uh, let me know what you would like me to review or get into or break down. As far as anything else, I'll still take those suggestions. They just won't be as immediate as the spooky ones. Thank you so much for listening.